The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. Ole Miss is back, baby. Okay, no, they're not back, but they won. That's something. A surprise to me, a surprise to you maybe. After that performance at Memphis, I had no confidence Ole Miss could beat Arkansas, but they did. One and one, going to be two and one after beating Selah this weekend, and then it's Cal, and then it's Alabama. If they improve from week two to week three and four, like they did from week one to week two, hey, they might have something. So let's cover everything. Everything Ole Miss football from on the field to off the field. David Johnson's here for a recruit check because Ole Miss had a number of big-time recruits on campus. Also got Stephen Godfrey to talk the weekend in college football, his impressions after two weeks, and Nick Suss, who covers Ole Miss for the Clarion Ledger, is in the guest co-host chair. But first, let me tell you about my bookie. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with my bookie if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of person that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season, the college football season, is the best time of the year. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code TOC, Talk of Champions, TOC, to activate the offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. And now, it's Talk of Champions. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. It's up. What a difference a week makes. Just one win over Arkansas. One, no, it does not solve all the problems for Ole Miss football, but for one week, you, the Ole Miss fan, can breathe easier and celebrate because Ole Miss won an SEC football game, the first since last October when they beat, you guessed it, Arkansas. Surprise some, including me, but they did it. They got on the board, one and one, as they welcomed Selah this weekend. Here on Talk of Champions, got Nick Suss in the guest co-host chair. He's the Ole Miss beat reporter for the Jackson Clarion Ledger and also two guests. First up, Stephen Godfrey of SB Nation in about 15 minutes. And then later on, David Johnson, who works with me at the Ole Miss Spirit, omespirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports, for a recruit check brought to you by Impact by Ironwood. But first up, it's Nick Suss. Hey, Nicholas, how you doing? Doing pretty well, Benjamin. So what did we learn on Saturday about Ole Miss? Well, I mean, you said that this surprised some. It didn't really surprise me. I'd been looking at a one-and-one start since probably about June or July. This seems like everything has gone the way things expected, just completely the wrong way, in that I thought it would be the offense would be quick to gel and the defense would need time to put itself together. It seems like the offense is still kind of ironing out some of its identity but the defense really looks like it knows what it's doing right now at least it's got players in the right place and if they're missing tackles that's the next step as opposed to last year where it didn't seem like anybody ever was aligned properly or knew where they were going and it was just they couldn't be a train wreck because the trains weren't on the same tracks but 
this time it seems like the defense is sorting itself out. And that was a really impressive performance against an Arkansas team that ran for 300 against them last year, held them to, I think, like 63 yards on Saturday. That was that was an impressive performance. Yeah, I think it's obvious at this point the MVP through the first two weeks is Mike McIntyre. Yeah, I, I think that the most telling thing of this entire defense this season for me was I asked Jaquez Jones after the game, did you expect this to happen so quickly? Did you expect the turnaround? He just looked at me and said, we didn't have a choice. It was either get better or have another year like last year. And we knew if we had another year like last year, none of us would be on the field pretty much. I, I mean, they knew that this defense had no choice but to buy into what McIntyre has been preaching. And when we asked McIntyre, how did he turn it around? It's well, they're tackling every day in practice. They're doing pursuit drills every day in practice. I think McIntyre's exact quote was, I make them do walkthroughs until they can't see straight. They are hammering in the knowledge and the pursuit and the fundamental aspect of it so that the guys are at least where they need to be. The next step is that anticipation. The next step is that ability to make plays that maybe they shouldn't be making. But for now... With the exception of two or three plays against Arkansas and maybe three or four plays against Memphis, they've made all the plays they were supposed to make. And that's a huge step for this defense. I think what surprised me the most defensively about this team through two weeks is I think their depth's a little bit better than any of us anticipated. And I mean that by looking at Mohamed Sonogo. He goes down, the initial prognosis was a high ankle sprain. It was worse. He's out for 10 yeah. weeks. He's got a broken ankle. So... Mohamed Sonogo no longer a factor. And if I'd have told you that would have happened before the year started, it's a non-starter for me. That defense is going to struggle all year. He's the one guy they can't lose. And yet, Jacquez Jones, who Matt Luke admitted on Monday, wasn't supposed to get a lot of snaps in either of the first two weeks, didn't have the best preseason camp. He goes in, steps in, he's next guy up, and he leads the team in tackles. That shows me that, yes, the depth is still not where they want it to be, but it's better than we thought it was. Yeah, I think Matt described Jaquez's performance as a lesson for the whole team of even when you're not being asked to play, you have to prepare like you're going to. And apparently that was something that Jaquez did. It it can't be easy for a guy to be a freshman all-SEC linebacker and then be relegated to fourth or fifth on the depth chart coming into the season. But he came in and he played really well last year in that freshman all-SEC season. He had two and a half TFLs. He turned around and had one and a half against Arkansas alone. He matched his entire career of sacks in the Arkansas game, going from half to one sack. He played really well, uh, and I expect him and Dante Evans and probably a lesser extent, but still we'll see some Willie Hibbler. I think all of those guys are going to have to step up, but you're right about the point of depth that if Momo went down, I thought he was the one irreplaceable player on this defense that could make it go from mediocre to bad or from bad to horrible but it seems like they slotted in some guys and it's working schematically it's working productively and they'll have a chance to kind of test out some new bodies this week because southeastern louisiana probably won't present the same amount of a challenge as arkansas or memphis did Rebels that rose up this weekend, those rebels that had to step up, make an impact that might have surprised you. Brought to you by Grove Sharks Tailgating. Ole Miss football is back at home, and that means great food, friends, and fun in the Grove. Let the experts at Grove Sharks Tailgating take care of all your needs. Before the party begins and the Rebels kick off at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium, they still have a few packages left for the weekend or the remainder of the season. They can provide tents, chairs, coolers, and TV accommodations, among many different items. Visit Grove Sharks Tailgating at GroveSharks.com or like them on Facebook at Grove Sharks Tailgating. You can also reach out to Grove Sharks owner Eric Trimble, 662-816-3493, 662-816-3493. That's Grove Sharks Tailgating. So give it to me, Nick. Rebels that rose up this weekend. Uh, if we're starting on offense, I think we can't properly talk about the game without bringing up Nick Broker. I think we all kind of saw it coming after that first week at Memphis that the offensive line needed to change and Nick Broker was the obvious candidate. And if I'm not mistaken, he was the left tackle on all four of Ole Miss's touchdown drives on Saturday. It might've just been three out of four, but him and Howard uh, rotated and Broker seemed like he was the better player. Matt Luke said that he expects them to continue rotating drive by drive, but I wouldn't be shocked if by October, maybe even sooner than that, Broker was the full-time guy there he really stepped up he looked good and it's 
impressive how much the offensive line in general really held itself together after that. I guess they were not very well received after Memphis, if we want to be nice. Uh, they, they stepped up, and I think Broker was a big part of that. On defense, I'm trying to think. The outside linebackers looked good, and I'm not even just talking about Kadir Shepard and Sam Williams. Chuck Wiley looked good. Luke Knox looked good. Those guys are really performing pretty well, and I did not expect to see as much Luke Knox this season as we have the first two weeks of the season, and he's been pretty good when that's your fourth option at outside linebacker. It seems like they have a lot more depth there than I would have expected. This is my whole take on the offensive line. Michael Howard, and this is no disrespect to him, but he's a redshirt senior starting for the first time, seems like right now a placeholder for Nick Broker. That Nick Broker is the left tackle. He's the guy that Matt Luke and company want anchoring that side of the line, but he's not quite ready yet. He's a true freshman, still got to add some bulk to him, build up his frame. The energy's there. He plays hard. Michael Howard, his time as the starting left tackle is, it's relying upon Nick Broker and his development. If Nick Broker's there, he's starting. Yeah, and I think that we also have to acknowledge there's a chance this team expected Darius Thomas to be doing this. It was a big blow when they found his heart condition and he hasn't been able to practice yet. They're going to get him reevaluated, I think, later this month. But there's a chance that Broker wasn't ready because all summer this team wasn't expecting Broker to have to be the guy. They thought he would have had more time to develop and Darius Thomas, who might be a little more natural fit as a day one left tackle, wasn't ready to go. So I think all of that, by the time, if you can get Darius Thomas ready at the end of the season, and you have Broker who has all this experience, and then you can have Howard as your third or fourth option at tackle, I think the line's a lot more confident that way. But you're right. As long as Broker is deemed 100% ready, I think he's the guy. Darius isn't going to be back this year, man. He might not. Uh, they're getting him reevaluated. I'm not going to 100% rule him out, but just because of the four-game redshirt rule. And if he gets cleared, maybe they test him to see what goes. But I think that your bet is a lot safer than mine. Here's the deal with Arkansas's front. I don't know what to make of them. We know that they have some veterans on that defense, but I'm not sure that Arkansas and Memphis aren't pretty comparable. The deal with this offensive line improvement is very simple. It took a major step. There's no denying that. After being charged with seven total pressures and 27 opportunities in week one, they allowed just three total pressures on 26 opportunities in week two. No sacks, one quarterback hit, two hurries on 26 pass plays. Royce Newman, Eli Johnson, both pitched a shutout, allowed zero pressures in pass protection. Each participated in each passing snap. Michael Howard, he was better. He played just 12 pass blocking snaps, but he was perfect on them, allowing zero quarterback pressure. So that's an encouraging sign moving forward. They still haven't faced a truly formidable defensive line. But if you're looking for incremental baby steps and for this offensive line to come along, well, then Saturday was encouraging. Yeah, and I think that it's worth saying, and maybe this is the eternal pessimist coming out, but even if you had all the guys from last year, if you had Greg Little, Javon Patterson, Sean Rawlings, games against Auburn and Alabama would be tough regardless. This line is going to be in for tests just because those defensive lines are probably the two best in the country. They're going to be tested and they're probably going to look bad because everybody looks bad up front against that Auburn front and that Alabama front. So yeah, if you're comparing Alabama to Arkansas front or to the Memphis front, of course they haven't been tested yet. But if you're comparing them to an average college football defensive line, which I think Ole Miss has faced the last two weeks, they got better against average, which that's encouraging. That's that's as much as I'll say. All right, so how are we grading Matt Corral in his second game, especially when you compare it to week one? My grade, my scattering report, is Matt Corral, the thrower, really improved. Matt Corral, the decision maker, still needs a little bit of progress. You yeah, think those about, laterals got to stop. The laterals got to stop, but you also think about I think it was in the third quarter, maybe early fourth, when he tried that little swing pass in the backfield and he missed late and they almost fumbled it back when they had to jump on it. Or if you think about his fumble on fourth and one, when he could have given the ball up the gut, but he decided to keep it himself. Obviously, the Octavius Cooley lateral is something that everybody has talked to death at this point. But there are some decisions where he has the ball longer, where I think he gets in his head. But when he gets the ball out fast, when he knows who his hot read is or when he finds an open man or when he's able to see the full field, I think we're starting to get the glimpses of why he was such a highly coveted quarterback prospect out of high school. All of that said, I don't think the Arkansas defense was a 
great barometer of what SEC defenses are going to give him. And he needs to clean up some of those decisions and make them even quicker if he doesn't want to turn the ball over a lot against some other teams. There will be no Octavius Cooley slander on this podcast. I have been beating that drum for so very long. I'm going to fight on that hill until I die. That fumble was not his fault. That play should have been blown dead. I am cautious to blame the fumble on Matt either, just because of what you're saying of there was so much time between the lateral and when the fumble came out and forward progress maybe should have been called anyway. We asked Rich Rodriguez about it on Monday, and his response was pretty much, I'm surprised y'all didn't hear me a couple of doors down in the press box. He was not pleased with Matt's choice there to not just take the five or six yard gain. And maybe that was Corral exhibiting a little bit of growth and saying, I don't want to get hit here, which that is growth for him. But yeah, it was a, it was an interesting decision to, to say the least. But immaturity on the part of Matt Corral, that's to be expected. Yeah. The, the command of the offense that I wanted to see, and I didn't see it against Memphis. So I expect there are going to be some moments where you go, what the hell were you even thinking there? But immaturity that comes with a redshirt freshman quarterback he looks like he's in more control, or at least he did against Arkansas. Now, Selah, we're not going to be able to tell anything against Selah. They're going to beat Selah, whatever. But come Cal, can you carry those things over and then improve upon the things in which you've struggled? And that includes maturity um, on the football field. Because I think off the field, he's done everything they wanted him to do. Now, he's a little more vocal on social media than they maybe want, but it doesn't matter. That stuff. I, I love the cockiness. I love the entertainment aspect of Matt Corral. But you got to back it up with play, and there's still a lot of immaturity in that game, which is to be expected. Yeah, I think that what, what, what Rich Rodriguez said when we asked him about it on Monday was, we build the offense in a certain structure. You have to be able to make plays within that play structure. And I think Corral is still such of an improviser at quarterback that he's saying talent can carry me outside the play structure and I can just make something happen. The way to talk around it is just call him a guns, gunslinger. He slings a gun every once in a while. Sometimes he'll just roll out and throw across his body and it'll work. I know it paid off for him on one throw to Dontario Drummond on Saturday. But the plays are designed the way they are for a reason. And until Corral proves that he's Tua, the coaches might want him to kind of play within the plays from now on. Before we jump to Stephen Godfrey, did Ole Miss's win on Saturday change your season-long outlook on the Rebels at all? Not too much. I still think that they're going to need to steal a game to get to six. Five was the number I'd had in my head for a long time, and through two weeks, the number is still at five. They're going to need to steal Missouri or Mississippi State or Auburn or Texas A&M or LSU in order for it to happen, and all of those five games look kind of pretty tough at this point, so I haven't really say I've changed my opinion too much, but I do think if the trajectory keeps improving at the rate they improved from one to two, maybe one of those games could be more of a theft than maybe I'm giving them credit. Yeah, Missouri looked pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they, they looked real good. <laughs> yeah, Kelly Bryant looks good. Looks good. And you got to beat them on the road. Good luck. It's not an easy path for Ole Miss. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Coming up right now, it's Stephen Godfrey. He covers college football for SBNation.com. At 38Godfrey on Twitter. He joins us on the Modern Woodman phone line. The podcast brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. It wasn't so long ago where financially I needed some help getting my finances in order, organizing my money so that I'm in the best position for retirement, preparing for college for my kids, and everything else. I'm sure most everyone of you can relate. And that's why you should do like me and contact Thomas Chandler today. He's your local Modern Woodman representative, and he'll get you right for retirement or savings or whatever you need. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. What does Modern Woodman do, though, you might ask? Financial security for you and your family through life insurance, financial planning, and financial services. Quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities. And community impact through volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. It's time to get rid of your financial burden. Contact Thomas Chandler, 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Or you can check him out at www.modernwoodman.org. www.modernwoodman.org. That's Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. Joining me now on the Modern Woodman phone line is Stephen Godfrey. Writes for SB Nation, at 38Godfrey on Twitter. Hey, buddy, welcome back. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back. Everything good? Uh, yeah. Full full swing of the season now. Week three. That happened fast. What surprised you the most in college football this weekend? Oh, in week two? 
Um, you know, I really wasn't surprised by much, except maybe I guess Washington losing to Cal late at night. Uh, the Pac-12 is very confusing. Uh, USC did really well with a true freshman quarterback, but as far as like the Clemson stuff and the Texas LSU, that's a, that's kind of about how I expected it to play out. Well, like you mentioned, Cal beat Washington this weekend. Went on the road and beat Washington. That's Ole Miss's mm-hmm. opponent after Selah. What do you like about Cal? What is the scouting report for Cal? Um, it'll, it'll probably look a lot like the Memphis game uh, for Ole Miss. It'll be uh, ugly. They're very aggressive in pass defense. Uh, extremely good against the pass. Uh, I don't think the weather, the time, or any of that stuff will affect them at all. And, you know, I didn't watch any of the Ole Miss-Arkansas game, but just looking at the box score and the advanced stats and then also knowing what we know about Arkansas, um, I wouldn't expect much here. Is Ole Miss's win more improvement from its week one loss to Memphis or Arkansas being that bad? Probably the latter. Um, Arkansas is in a, I wouldn't say historic, but pretty notable valley in terms of like changing coaches when they did and then changing styles multiple times and, and really just not having like the line player, the rosters. I mean, I'll put it this way with everything that Ole Miss is going through with the NCAA, like they're in better roster shape than Arkansas is having incurred no official NCAA penalties. Um, you know, the only thing worse than dealing with something like that is just making consistently bad hires. And, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know what to make of Chad Morris, you know, if it's going to work out or not. I just know that you cannot grade Chad Morris at all for at least another two years because that is just a fundamentally bad football roster. Did Ole Miss's win shift your thoughts on the Rebel season long outlook at all? Um, you know, not particularly. Um, Quality of opponent matters a lot. I, I don't think you'll be able to see much functionally against Southeastern Louisiana. Obviously, those games are throwaway games, and it's just really like get in there and do spot work. You know, look at look at individual unit performance, that kind of stuff. Um, I've been impressed by the defense uh, relative to their their 2018 incarnation. I don't think it was that hard to get better, um, but that they, you know, any progress. Is, is notable progress considering how bad they used to be. What do you like about Ole Miss right now? Ooh. Um, oh, wow. That was tougher than I thought it'd be. Yeah. I, I, I mean, uh, the quarterback plays good. Um, you know, not the most necessarily mature in the decision-making. Um, still talented skill positions. Uh, Phillips looks good. Um, but, I mean, just fundamentally, this is the year where the NCAA stuff really comes home to roost in terms of affecting the talent, I think you're starting to see that. Through two weeks, is LSU the greatest threat to Alabama in the SEC? Yeah, because it's not going to be a and Auburn is kind of a – I mean, I, I wouldn't say Auburn has an identity problem. Auburn is a true freshman quarterback. Um, they, they were sluggish for most of the game against Tulane, and I think that ultimately they're, they're going to trip up just because, you know, they're rolling over – Offensive talent. Their defense is amazing, though. So, yeah, I would say the LSU-Bama game is going to be sort of ridiculously bigger, even though it normally is ridiculously big. Are we still inevitably heading toward Alabama-Clemson Part 3? Um, I like Ohio State right now. I've been really impressed by what they've done. Cincinnati is a really good G5 team, and they absolutely just vaporize them in every single phase of the game. There was not a where there was a matchup where Cincinnati didn't look completely embarrassed, and Cincinnati's a really good team. So it's early yet, but obviously I like I like Clemson better than anybody right now. And they're still kind of working through some of their new personnel, which is kind of terrifying. They didn't necessarily look effective at any point against A&M, and the game was never really in doubt. So I think it's Clemson 1, Alabama 2, and then Ohio State 3 right now. What are the games you're most intrigued by this weekend? It's a bad weekend, dude. Yeah, it's bad. This is, um, you know, honestly, I can't remember. Week two is surprisingly good because of some of the uh, the actual on-campus games, like like the Texas and, and A&M and Clemson. Like, this is a decent weekend. I mean, honestly, like game days at Ohio State for a reason. You know, I, I haven't broken down the, the, the schedule yet because we're going to record our podcast later at the Advantage Society, but like, there's just not a lot to necessarily jump on. And so I think what you do in, in a weekend like this is there's a lot of true freshmen out there playing quarterback this season for whatever reason. And I think this is the week where you just you just watch and see those guys progress. But I don't think you'll have like a narrative-busting moment. I don't think you'll even have like an Army-Michigan-style moment. 
I think this is just going to be one where, you know, a lot of teams get the, get the easy ugly games this weekend. Yeah, USC is one of those teams with a true freshman quarterback, and it comes in a year when Clay mm-hmm. Hilton has to win, and that schedule's brutal, and he needs to win 10, or he might even get fired with 9 or 8. Yeah, and I mean, they fired their, their like, resign technically. They fired their resign yesterday, and then, um, I, you know, I expected them to start that one, too. I really did, because Fresno State's a good football team. Um, I'm a little shocked that, uh, actually, I was a lot shocked the way they handled Stanford. I think Stanford is plateauing a little bit more than we thought they would, but with what they've got coming up on the front stretch of their schedule, I don't expect them to stay undefeated. And now, with the with the climate around the FBI investigation and what's going on at USC from emission standards and everything else, like it, it's it's anybody's bet. You know, the funny thing is, I, I think it's kind of turned all the way back around, Ben. Where USC was supposed to kick off all the coaching changes this year, like that was going to be a top one that caused the cascade. And if things are so uncertain in the athletic department, and Clay Helton wins eight or nine games, they may just keep him again. I hesitate to ask, but what are your thoughts on the Ole Miss Chancellor search? Uh, from what I hear, it's a hot mess. Um, it's uh, in football terms, it's it's going to be sort of a stasis-inducing process, whether you want that or not. For Matt Luke, I think that the losses are coming, and I think they're going to be aggressive on Ole Miss. Um, but I don't know. I think it would be incredibly dumb for for a university that's done a lot of dumb things in the last 10 years to try and make a big football coaching change with no chance of an athletic director. So it really is sort of a ride it out moment right now. And, and, and you know, you were talking about looking for positives. Ole Miss potentially has the ability right now to do something it's never done, which is kind of clean slate all of its leadership positions simultaneously um, and establish new directions. And that doesn't even necessarily mean firing Matt Luke. It just means changing the outlook, changing the objectives, changing the practice uh, of how things get done or, or don't get done. And if they hold on to the old days and they hold on to the old ideas, they are doomed to repeat the past. What are you working on right now? Uh, a couple things. I haven't been doing as much game staffing as usual. Um, but, uh, you know, up here, honestly, in Tennessee, we're just sort of waiting to see how, how much Tennessee implodes. Is Jeremy Pruitt on the hot seat? Yes. I mean, his buyout is just north of $9 million, and they're still they're still in the process of paying out a $9.5 million buyout to Bush Jones because he doesn't draw a salary as an analyst at Alabama. But inexplicably, yes. I mean, losing those two games and the style in which he lost both of them, it shows system failure. And, you know, they, they play Chattanooga this week and they'll win that game. But then they get a stretch of, and I think I'm saying this out of order, I know they play Florida after that. And then it's Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi State in some order. And they're not going to win any of those games. They're not. The Braves are three games back of the Dodgers for the best record in the NL. Do they catch the Dodgers and have home field? I hope so, only because I don't want to deal with a half-divided Cardinals divisional series. So I'm, I'm not more interested in the Dodgers losing than anything else, just because I don't want to deal with the Cardinals. Is this the year, the first since 2001, that the Braves win a playoff series? I think we're one of the World Series. What, what? Yeah. I think we're going to the World Series. I think we're going to lose like Houston or New York, but I think we're going to. Are we going to meet in Atlanta for a game? Yes. All right. All right. Last one, and this is a college football question. I just had to ask my Braves questions. Um, at the end of the year, what will be the biggest storyline after two weeks? Mm. In all of college football? Yeah. Mm. I mean, the California State Assembly just voted to allow NCAA athletes to pass it off their likeness. Um, I'm going to follow that like a hawk. Um, I think in terms of just pure football, I don't think, I think things are solidifying to the point where it's going to start hurting the sport if we don't see some variance at the top. I think you have eight or nine functionally superior programs that operate like play franchises and it's impossible to permeate that from the outside. I like Boise. Um, I think Central Florida took a step back this year, but there's there's no chance of a five team making a playoff. And I think what we're seeing here is a lack of movement at the very top that's going to set in motion a fatigue in college football. Really quickly, because I know you got to go. Does Ole Miss make a bowl? No. Okay. He's Stephen Godfrey at Thirty Eight Godfrey on Twitter. Writes for SB Nation. I know you're busy. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Let's do it again. Love you, buddy. That was Stephen Godfrey, and this is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Talk of Champions is powered by BNA Bank. I don't know about you, but I want my banking made simple. And I certainly want to trust the people who've got my money. Well, if you're like me, BNA Bank is where you need to go. Maybe you're a student just starting out. 
You don't know much about personal banking or business banking, loan services. Well, I tell you who does. BNA Bank, be it Mike Staten, Bo Collins, Vance Witt, my buddy Bob Spencer. These are friends of the podcast. Ole Miss fans, sure, but more importantly, they care about you. They're going to take care of you. They're going to make sure that your banking experience is done flawlessly, comfortably, and with trust and respect. With a five-star rating from Bauer Financial and an excellent rating from Weiss Ratings, BNA Bank is recognized as one of the strongest financial institutions in the country. But where can you find them? How about bnabank.com? Or give them a call, 662-534-8171. 662-534-8171. BNA's main office and two branch offices are located in New Albany, my hometown, with another branch located in Myrtle, two branches in Tupelo and Lee County, Mississippi, and one loan production office in Oxford. Where you put your money matters. And the only place to put your money, the only place that Ben Garrett puts his money, is BNA Bank. So check them out, bnabank.com, 662-534-8171. There's no other place. They've helped me. They'll help you. Tell them Ben Garrett of Talk of Champions sent you. And now, back to Talk of Champions. Ole Miss's win on Saturday was significant for a number of reasons. First of all, they got on the board. They got their first win. But secondly, they had a lot of important recruits on campus. You may know the names. You may not. But you do know, when it's time to talk Ole Miss recruiting, we go to David Johnson for a recruit check. Check that shit out. Wow. You're here. I'm here. Let's do this. When Braun Strowman screams, you know what time it is. It's time for a recruit check. Brought to you by Impact by Ironwood. Business owners, did you know you can support Ole Miss Athletics every time you accept a debit or credit card payment? That's right. Impact by Ironwood offers the best debit and credit card payments processing tools around. And they'll donate a portion of their profits to the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation in your name. The best part, you don't have to spend an extra dime to get exclusive member benefits, earn donor priority points, and support your Ole Miss Rebels. To learn more, call one 833 go teams That's 1-833-GO-TEAMS, or go to Make a difference, make an impact. He's David Johnson, works with me at the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. He knows all about Ole Miss football recruiting, and Ole Miss just had a big visit weekend. David, what's up, man? How you doing? I am doing great. Always great to be back with you on the Talk of Champions. I know. This is uh, open invitation is extended to you. You know this. You used to co-host this show. You can be on whenever you want to. Always feel welcome, and mm-hmm. I thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Good. It was a good weekend for Ole Miss football. They beat Arkansas, but they had some notable recruits on campus to see it. So from that angle... Tell me who was on campus. Who should Ole Miss fans know? Yeah, man. I, uh, you know, a good bit of the commitment class was here. A couple of Mississippi State commits that I honestly think Ole Miss could flip with the asking. Uh, and, and those two being Emmanuel Forbes, three-star cornerback out of Grenada High School, and then Ladeatric Griffin, affectionately known as Tulu. Out of Philadelphia High School, he's he's a four-star wide receiver. Forbes, let me correct myself, Forbes is a defensive back. He's going to play defensive back in college, rated as a wide receiver by 24-7 sports. Both those guys on campus, along with a high, high four-star out of Brentwood, Tennessee, Ravenwood High School. That's where Van Jefferson played so many years ago. Reggie Grimes, that's a name to remember. Weak side defensive end, number three weak side defensive end in the nation, he was on campus as well. Uh, so was J.J. Peggy's on Oxford High School. He needs no introduction. Uh, the four-star tight end. And, and you know, Ben, Ole Miss needs a tight end or two in this class. Uh, and J.J. Peggy's would fit right into that. Antonio Harmon, the 2021 wide receiver out of Kosciuszko, 247 Sports, number one ranked player in the state of Mississippi in the 2021 class. He was here. And as I mentioned, a whole bunch, a whole bunch of uh, commitments, and I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you Kamari Rogers, the number one player in the state of Mississippi's class of 2022, 
also on campus as well. Other top targets are Mark Thomas. Of course, he's a teammate of Jabari Small at Briarcrest Christian out of Memphis. Thomas, a big-time defensive line prospect. Ole Miss uh, has has got their hooks in really and truly. I, I Right now, I think Amari Thomas is going to end up in the Ole Miss commit column, particularly so if the Rebels keep on stacking some wins this year. So uh, that's kind of a, a view from 10,000 feet up above, if you will, of uh, the guys they had on campus for the Arkansas game. Not only the Arkansas game, the Arkansas victory. Yeah, exactly. That's where I was going next. Important then that Ole Miss not only won for its season outlook, but for the recruiting trail, they needed to get a win on Saturday. Absolutely. Now, they don't have a whole lot of spots left. Will there be some attrition in this class? Maybe. Maybe expect a, a guy or two, but but look... I, don't look at that as being a negative if those kind of things happen down the stretch run um, because they would be classified. How do we like to say that Ben, as mutual? Yeah. You know, uh, that, that kind of deal right there as they maneuver and, and, and try to put together the best 26, 27 guys or so that they can in this signing class, in this 2020 class. Um, recruiting's going good. And one thing I'd point out about, uh, I want you to think about this. How many decommitments? has Ole Miss had over the last couple of years. That's a really good point. You can count them on just a couple of fingers. And how many decommitments has Ole Miss had over the last couple of years in terms of guys that they really and truly wanted to hang on to? Zero. Really and truly zero. They haven't lost any recruiting battles. Now, you can say, you know, it's for this reason or that reason or whatever, but they've got a plan inside the Manning Center, and they're doing an excellent job. Once these guys get in that commit column, they're doing a great job pulling them into the commit column, but they're doing a great job keeping on, keeping on with these kids. I was talking to Khalil Benson last week, Ben, big old offensive lineman out of South Haven, Mississippi. And he's like, man, Ole Miss is doing as great of a job recruiting me now than before I even committed to them. So that's just kind of a, a little inside sampling of, of, of how they're working this class. And uh, that's a great class, Ben. I, I mean, I, I like this class. I like where it is. I think there are going to be some primetime names that are going to kind of ice the cake on this class, some big time guys uh, that are going to join the guys already in there. And I think Ole Miss fans are, for the for the most part, going to be pretty happy with this class. You make a really good point, one that I haven't even thought of before. When you look at last year's class, the only decommitment, major decommitment that Ole Miss had was Jerion Ely, and yet he still ended up quickly back in their class and signing with Ole Miss, and now he's already playing as a true freshman. And it's a complete departure from Hugh Freeze, whose commitments you often sweated up until signing day. And that's not to knock Hugh Freeze. God knows I'm not afraid to do that at all. But it is very different. It's a different world that Ole Miss recruiting is living in. And zero decommitments at this point in the 2020 class. And I just think that's worth pointing out, really and truly, because, uh, you know, that means, uh, A, they're taking kids that they believe are firm in their belief that they want to play football at Ole Miss. They're taking kids that they believe have a, have a role here, a spot here that will fit in here. And, uh, you know, don't take my word for it. Take the recruits' words for it. Ole Miss never lets up on these guys. Once they commit, it's still game on. I mean, they're still contacting them every opportunity they can. They're bringing them to campus all the time. They're doing the the little things that are necessary to put a class together, particularly when you can't go in there and, and talk about going to the Sugar Bowl right now or winning an SEC title right now. Um, they're selling people on Ole Miss, and despite uh, you know all the sewage we've all had to wade through the last three or four years, Ole Miss has still got something to sell about itself. Apropos of nothing, I was eating at Abner's last week, and eating there as well for lunch was J.J. Piggies. It has nothing to do with recruiting, but I looked at him and went, I know that guy. Oh, that's J.J. Piggies, and my God, he looks huge. He looks like he could play right now, and it seems like Ole Miss not necessarily has weathered the Auburn storm, but they're still in a good place, and it's going to be a battle, yes, but it's not – automatic anymore that he's going to leave Oxford, that they're going to continue to put the full court press on him. Yeah, and it was big that he was here, uh, you know, on the Ole Miss campus on Saturday. I think with J.J. Piggies, look, if he ends up deciding he wants to go to Auburn or Alabama or anywhere else for that matter, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of blame you can lay at the door of Ole Miss for that because they have done everything right with J.J. Piggies. And if a kid ultimately decides – I don't want to stay in my hometown and go to college because 
it would rob me of that true college experience. I think you have to understand that. And I'm not trying to build an excuse up for Ole Miss right now. If JJ Piggies does not end up in the commit column, I'm, I'm simply saying, you know, he's a human being and uh, I get it. If a kid, how, how many of y'all have kids out there who wouldn't want to go to college in, in, in the town they grew up in that are looking for a different experience. And really, you know, my conversations with JJ, he says nothing bad about Ole Miss ever. He, he loves Ole Miss. He grew up an Ole Miss fan. But I think that's the one thing that, uh, you know, is kind of laying out there that, that might lead him to go elsewhere. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I personally think that when signing day rolls around, J.J. Piggies is going to be an Ole Miss rebel. But if he's not, he's got his reasons for not wanting to, to do that. And it really has nothing. Don't take it personal. I think it has very little to do with Ole Miss. Of the guys that came on campus this weekend, where did Ole Miss make the most hay? You know, that's a difficult question. I mean, I think uh, I think you turn to a guy like Antonio Harmon right now, um, who is he, he's open in his recruitment. He's going to stay open for a while. He, he's told me himself that, you know, he's not deciding anything to probably write before his senior season. He's out of the class of 2021. He is that receiver that if Ole Miss can get him on campus, will be that building block to return to some NWO caliber receivers, if you will. This kid can do it all. He's six foot three, 200 pounds. Got a humble nature about him. He's a hard worker. And I think Ole Miss has got the inside track for him right now out of Jacob Peeler's hometown, Kosciuszko, Mississippi. And Antonio Harmon loves coming to Oxford, Mississippi. I can tell you that. And, uh, you know, so I think having him back on campus, very, very, very positive sign right there. I think they went ahead and solidified, uh, you know, even more that commitment class. Another one that, that I'm hearing good things about, Kamari Rogers being up here. He's out of Holmes County Central in Lexington, Mississippi. Little school, doesn't produce a whole lot of football talent. But this guy, as we talked about earlier, is the number one prospect in the entire state of Mississippi for the class of 2022. He's already a five-star prospect Ben and having him up here this early so that you can start building face-to-face relationships with not only him but his father as well his dad happens to be the head coach down there at the high school he plays for I think that is absolutely huge he's the number one cornerback in the country the number one corner in the country is right here Ole Miss and Mississippi State for him is going to be extremely intense so I take that as a very very good sign that here he is early in the season He's spending one of uh, one of his official visit we unofficial visit weekends here with Ole Miss. Okay, when you're looking at the so few spots left for Ole Miss, where do they have to hit? You said tight end, that makes sense. Where else do they have glaring needs where they have to address it in recruiting? We'll jump right back to David in 40 seconds, just 40, after this quick word on Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, one of the many proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. If you're in the market for a new car, there is no better time to buy at Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Not only do they now have in stock the 2020 Jeep Gladiator, which is half Wrangler, half truck. It's the perfect car for me. But also 20% off select Ram trucks. And I know, I know, no one really loves the car buying process. I'm with you. It can be overwhelming. You're just looking for the best deal. Well, Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is here for you. 20% off right now. Select Ram trucks. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. Yeah, I think tight ends. I think defensive secondary, whether it be a corner or a safety. And then I'm going to tell you, they're always going to take defensive linemen. Always. And, and I think they're in on two with Amari Thomas. We talked about him out of Briarcrest Christian. And then the other one is McKinley Jackson from down in South Mississippi. I think they're in on both those guys. You would take both of them, add a defensive back to this class, add J.J. Piggies as your tight end and call it a day and call it a win. I, I really think it's that simple in terms of how it all shakes down. What is the McKinley Jackson update? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's going to be Ole Miss, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M is in there. Uh, he went out to Texas A&M over the summer. Uh, Mississippi State, not not in his top list of schools, so I really don't think, and and, and I know it's, it's, it's probably way premature to say this, but I really don't think Mississippi State's going to play much of a factor in his recruitment, but we've all seen weird stuff happen. 
Ole Miss was pretty busy in the JUCO market in the last class. Hit on Sam Williams, Lakia Henry, Dontario Drummond, just to name a few. Do you see Ole Miss dipping back into that market again, even with just, as you mentioned, very few spots left? I think two, three, four left. You know what? I, I think they've got uh, some eyes on some on a couple of junior college players. Uh, when you have a guy like Scotty Phillips who comes in here as a as a running back from the junior college ranks, and he's been able to do what he's been able to do, and then you look at this year's group of incoming JUCO guys: Lakia Henry, Sam Williams, Jonathan Haynes, all of those guys offering instant help at positions of need. Absolutely, I, I think they're keeping one eye on the JUCO ranks, and if uh, you know if it's the right guy. I could see a JUCO guy being part of this class. And you're sitting there going, well, wait a minute. They've only got three, maybe four spots left. Uh, How's that going to happen? Well, I go back to where we opened up this little segment talking about, you know, there may be some mutual attrition somewhere down the road. Possibly. You never know. You see that happen occasionally. And then it could possibly happen with this class. The numbers always work themselves out. No, that That's the easiest way of saying it. Instead of trying to explain all the intricacies, of it, the numbers always work themselves out. This isn't really a recruiting question, but you have some insight here. What's up with Darius Thomas? Do you expect him back this year at all? Darius Thomas was supposed to see his uh, medical team today, as a matter of fact, as we're recording this on a Monday. Uh, right now, we've gotten nothing back on that. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be able to pick up something on that during Tuesday afternoon's practice, but we haven't heard anything. Now, you know, if you're expecting Darius Thomas to get cleared and go out there and play 15 or 20 snaps Saturday against Southeastern Louisiana, you're wrong. Uh, you know, and I'm not saying you specifically Ben, but anybody thinking that it's going to take a little while you've seen how Alex Givens has struggled uh, to, to get back into game shape I mean he didn't play the entire second half Saturday night basically because he kind of run out of gas at the half and that's what happens when you don't participate in 30 days worth of uh, 100 degree fall camp your body's just not uh, not ready to go out there and you go well man I mean you're going out there you're just playing 13 plays and then you get to come on in and set on the bench and drink some Gatorade those are 13 plays where if you're not going 110 percent all 13 plays and Ole Miss moves fast with that offense uh, you're going to get waxed I mean there's there's no taking a playoff in SEC football you got to give it everything you got and it's tough to do that I mean wake up on a Sunday morning after after playing 77 plays in an SEC football game on a Saturday. It's not fun. I, I saw it this Sunday morning myself. It's, it looks like you've been in a train wreck. Okay, one of the last things, which position or positions are they least concerned about as far as addressing and recruiting? It can be any position, but the one that, yeah, we'd like to have this guy, this guy, but if we don't, we'll be fine. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be right in what I'm going to say here, but I'm going to say the offensive line simply because they went so heavy on it in the 2019 class. Uh, and, and there's some talent in that class. You're starting to already see some of that, like with what you watched Nick Broker do Saturday night against Arkansas. Uh, they signed seven in that class. And we talked about Darius Thomas. Uh, there's, a, there's a high ceiling for him once he gets cleared uh, from this heart condition thing that has hindered his start. Uh, but um, – you know, to me, I would say offensive line. I mean, they've got some good ones in this class. You talk about Khalil Benson and Eli Acker. Both those guys expected to play tackle uh, at Ole Miss. Uh, but, uh, you know, Luke Schouse is a guy coming in somewhat a little bit like the recruitment of Michael Howard in that he is a tall, lean guy that they're hoping to add weight to. Uh, hopefully he won't have the battles in doing that that Michael Howard did. But those are the three offensive linemen they have so far in this class. And uh, I would say, uh, you know, considering they signed the seven last year, I, I would think that's a position they're probably least concerned about right now. Well, last one, and this was a topic that my boy Brian Haydad came up with on a podcast we did long, long ago. Who's your boy in this class? The guy that you irrationally are a big fan of and think can make an impact. Doesn't have to be a highly ranked guy, but somebody that you really believe in as far as one that could come in and impact the team. Yeah, I, I mean, a guy that could impact the team immediately. I'm going to tell you, and this is not going to be a popular answer. I wouldn't say he's my boy because I'm closer with some other commitments than I am with this kid. But the guy I think that, that could walk on that field next year and, and do something of, of an impactful nature, Kentrell Bullock, the running back out of Columbia, Mississippi. He's 5'10", 195. He's faster than a hiccup and uh, would plug into what Rich Rodriguez likes to do offensively perfectly. I mean, he's a 
an Elijah Moore kind of guy, uh, Jerry on Ely kind of guy, Tyler Knight kind of guy. You know, you can play him in the backfield. You can line him up in the slot. He's frenetic. He would be my guy that could come in and, and really do something right off the bat. Now, the two kids that I, I just like a whole lot and I think are going to have really good careers and are going to be able to make an impact here. I'm kind of an offensive line guy. I'd go with Khalil Benson. I love Khalil Benson. He is one of the best kids in the world. Durante Bolden is good of a kid as you ever, ever wanted to meet. Khalil Benson reminds me of Durante Bolden on a personality level, uh, kind of like that. And then Eli Acker over at Heritage Academy in Columbus. Crazy about both those guys. Uh, they're going to be good locker room guys, and they're going to have good careers here at Ole Miss. He's David Johnson. He works with me at the Ole Miss Spirit, OMSpirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports for a recruit check brought to you by Impact by Ironwood. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. We'll do it again. Thanks for having me on, Ben, as always. That was David Johnson. Works with me at the Ole Miss Spirit, OMSpirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, talk of champions, and iTunes. Also available in SoundCloud and should be wherever you get your podcast. Just simply search Talk of Champions. The podcast brought to you in part by the Lamar Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood. And Cheney's Pharmacy. What do we know about living in Oxford right now? One, it's expensive. And two, if you live on one side of town and you want to go to the other side of town, it takes an hour to get through traffic. We're all jammed, packed in like sardines in this town. But have no fear. The Lamar, Oxford's only traditional neighborhood, is under construction. Brought to you by John Welty Realty. A traditional neighborhood means right where you live. A grocery store, a brewery, restaurants, shops, all within walking distance of your front door. But what about the houses? Custom high-end spec houses. Beautiful finishes, open concept, modern two-story houses. If you're looking for a three-bedroom, a two-bedroom, a one-bedroom, you'll find a fit with any of these three spacious layouts. So don't delay. Get in with the Lamar right now. Build-out is happening. For more information, contact John Welty at john at johnweltyrealty.com. That's john at johnweltyrealty.com. Or give him a call at 662-23-HOMES. When it's football season, all you want to do is be around football. Even when you make your trip to the pharmacy, you want to see Ole Miss. The best pharmacy to go to, the only Ole Miss pharmacy really to go to, is Cheney's Pharmacy for all your pharmaceutical needs. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221. Or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online, Cheney'sPharmacy.com. At Cheney's, Ole Miss is always in season. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Nick Suss is in the guest co-host chair. Nick writes for the Clarion Ledger, covering Ole Miss. At Nick Suss on Twitter, Ole Miss came away with a big win on Saturday. A had-to-have-it game on Saturday, beating Arkansas. If they hadn't won, it was a wrap. Done. Donezo. But now, you've got more possibilities. What can it be? So what can it be, Nicholas? I think we were talking about this a little before the first guest, but... You start looking at the schedule, you start doing that bowl math, you start looking ahead. There is a path to playing in Shreveport or to playing in Memphis and getting that six and six, which would be a huge, huge victory for Matt Luke and his regime if he can get to a bowl in his first year of bowl eligibility. But in order to do that, you're going to need to see some huge step forward from the offense, specifically receivers not named Elijah Moore, specifically the offensive line. You're going to need huge growth from that. And also, for as good as the defense has been, the secondary still has some faults right now. They're still allowing too many big plays. I did the math on it. Last year, they were allowing 17 big plays a game. This year through two, they're allowing 16 big plays a game. So it's really not that drastic of a difference. I think that in order to get that outlook up to, hey, maybe there's a there's a December game ahead. Those are places that really, really need to get ramped up. Yeah, a good example of that is Kedron Smith. He looked absolutely dynamic against Memphis. One of the few true bright spots across the board. Now, defensively, they played well the entire game, but he just stuck out. And then against Arkansas, he took a step back. He wasn't attacking the ball or attacking playmakers the same way. Wasn't 
put his head down and diving into those screen passes. They gave up way too many third and longs. It just didn't look quite right as it did against Memphis on the back end. The front end, they looked great. They still did a good job of bottling up the run, but you're right. The secondary, for as much as you were encouraged in week one, in week two, you start to ask some questions. Yeah, and I think that some of this is a product of just sheer lack of depth. We've talked about this all summer. Corner is a position where they're incredibly thin. Safety is a position where they have a ton of bodies, but not sure if you trust those bodies. And when you add those two things together, you start to ask, who were your four or five guys? Do you have four or five guys? And I think through two weeks, they've identified who their four or five guys are. They might have identified six or seven guys. The problem is you can't in the SEC ask five defensive backs to play 12 games. You definitely need more of a rotation, especially when you start to play the spread teams that are going to spread you out and put four receivers on the field. You need more defensive backs you can trust. And for as electric as Kedron looked, if you ask him to play 70 snaps against Cal at 11 a.m., uh, he's just going to tire out. He just can't do it. So they, they really do need to identify some bodies beyond Kedron Smith, Miles Hartsfield, and Jalen Jones at corner. X-Factors moving forward. One guy that just popped off the tape, and he got limited time, but he popped off the tape. Jerry Ely is going to be a man. Now, Scotty mm-hmm. Phillips, no doubt, he's the lead runner. Snoop Connor, very much in the same similar mold of Scotty Phillips. I think he's going to make a great one-two punch with Jerrion Ely. Love what he brings to the table. But Jerrion Ely brings something that this offense has not had. And I loved seeing motions and getting the ball to him out on the edges and allowing him to make guys miss. Jerrion Ely moving forward seems like an X-factor. I think so. And I'll say one thing that anyone who follows or covers Ole Miss was victim of this summer was we spent a lot of time talking about and maybe even hyping Tylen Knight. I think that Jerrion has proven through two games, Tylen might not be that guy. They might just let Jerrion be that guy as a true freshman. And it stinks for Tylen because you really like the guy and you really hope that his four position changes, he would finally find a place. But that slot guy, that motion guy, that guy who can be a hybrid receiver running back, Jerrion looked really good at it. Looked really electric. You could tell his acceleration, his burst was phenomenal when he has the ball in his hands and I don't know if you agree with me you probably do he should be the punt returner at this point Elijah has never proven that he can be anything better than guy who fair catches as a punt returner so I say just let Jerry on touch the ball in as many different ways as possible I'm in 100% agreement there it'd be different if Elijah was looking to return punts he's not he's looking to give them the best field position on a fair catch call. And that's just not going to work. You have to have some type of threat back there. Otherwise, what's the point? (laughs) I will say this about Tylen. You bring up a good point. Tylen Knight's got positional versatility. If I had to put money on it, if I were a betting man, I'd put money on Tylen Knight being a defensive back before the year's gone. It's going to be tough just because, as I mentioned before, after Elijah, our receiver hasn't stepped up yet. I know Braylon's been banged up, but... I don't think Jonathan Mingo has a catch through the first two games. Ontario Drummond has two. I don't remember if Miles Battle even has a catch yet. He does. They might need. Okay, yeah, he did. But yeah, they're gonna. They might need Tylen at receiver just simply because they don't have that many guys who have stepped up at receiver yet. That said, Tylen's minutes, his snaps against Arkansas, he really wasn't on the field that much. Ontario Drummond showed me something on Saturday. He's better when Matt Corral is improvising, getting outside the pocket. He's not a wide receiver that can get immediate separation at the line of scrimmage, but Ole Miss has dealt with those type of wide receivers before. And you got a mobile quarterback, a guy that's better outside the pocket. Ontario Drummond fits that. So he's the number two guy, but they need Braylon Sanders back. You're absolutely right. And Miles Battle has to come on. They need him to start being a consistent pass catcher, and he hasn't been that so far. But I think Tylen Knight, if you maybe rank the options. He's far down as far as who they would go to if it was still the same problems week after week. And he can give you something defensively. You're right. Yeah. They lack depth at cornerback. Jalen Julius can move to cornerback. He's a safety as Tylen Knight. Give him a shot over there. Yeah, I just worry about moving a kid's position five times in two years. And maybe that's just me being a pragmatist. But at a certain point, you have to let a guy learn a position. Uh, you're right. He might be better served in the secondary. But are you hurting his development overall, if you keep moving him. I know he probably doesn't have a pro future. He's too small for that at whatever position he tries to play. But I don't know. It's just hard to teach a guy a new position every six months. Well, here's an idea. Let him return punts and kicks. I've thought about that before. In practice, every time I've watched him, he's been their ace gunner on both punts and kicks. So he hasn't been back returning them. 
uh, because they've working punt return and punt obviously at the same time and they need him to be their gunner and I really don't know if I've seen him make a play as a gunner yet this season but it's something he looks natural at so that might be an explanation of why he hasn't been returning punts and kicks yet moving away from Ole Miss what are your biggest takeaways from college football through two weeks oh that's a good question um week one was just weird there weren't that many games that went according to plan. I've got a joke with three or four friends from college that there are two types of college football seasons, one where no one is good or one where everyone is bad. I don't think this is an everyone is bad season. We might be getting close to a no one is good season or maybe just a Clemson is good season because Alabama, we can't take anything away from the two games they've played. And other than those two teams, yeah, Georgia looked okay against Vanderbilt. Oklahoma looked very good offensively against Houston. You go through the top teams, Michigan barely beat Army. That was a team that a lot of people thought could sneak into the playoff. The Pac-12's entire hopes right now rest on Oregon and USC with a true freshman quarterback. Texas already has that one loss. So the Big 12 probably rests on Oklahoma to not to be able to beat Texas twice. The playoff structure is kind of shaken out at this point with the two teams everybody expects to be there every year and then shrugs. And I guess that's my main takeaway from the first two weeks of the season is, yeah, shrug. It's it's same as it ever was. LSU looks good. LSU does look good. But are they going to go to Tuscaloosa and win this year? I don't know. I mean, they have the offense for it finally, but they suffered both of their defensive ends got hurt against Texas and Delpit got a little banged up. I think he's going to be able to play, but everything comes down to can Georgia beat Alabama? Can LSU beat Alabama? Because I'm not necessarily a believer that the SEC is going to get two in this year unless there are two 12-0 teams playing each other in Atlanta. If either LSU or Georgia lose a regular season game, or Alabama for that matter, it might just be tough to get in. Who are your all-conference candidates for Ole Miss? I think Sam Williams has made a case already. He broke three fingers against Arkansas. He's going to keep playing, but I think he's made a good case. Elijah, we'll see. There's a lot of good receivers in the conference. Uh, LSU and Alabama alone might make up the entire first team of receiver, but Elijah is kind of looking like that dude right now. Uh, beyond that, we'll see if Scotty can keep up the pace he had against Arkansas. Obviously, the Memphis game is going to be a detriment to his case. And then if there's one other guy who maybe could sneak in as a second or third team guy, you start looking at Lakia maybe Josiah, it gets kind of thinner there just because this team isn't super top-heavy on the talent margins. But yeah, I think there are some possibilities, but right now Sam and Elijah are the safest bets. No Octavius Cooley. I'm sorry. I'm just a big fan of Jared Pinckney and Albert. I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name. Yeah, don't do it. But Octavius Cooley's being used a lot more, and so is Jason Pellerin. That's a lot more tight end usage. I think Austin Knox might be throwing his hands up in the air. Yeah. Asking what it would have been. One guy that's really upset is it's Dawson Knox. He's sitting in Buffalo right now going, what the hell? Yeah, just imagine if they used him or if they had him this year. That could have been fun. Here's my whole thing about Phil Longo. Yes, he's done great through two weeks at North Carolina, but holy crap. Did you watch A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf this weekend? He had both of those guys in his offense, as well as Dawson Knox, as well as Scotty Phillips, and a tenured quarterback, and they went 5-7. and seven. I know the defense was terrible, but their red zone offense was abysmal. It was, but I might be one of the few people who didn't even need the first two weeks of this UNC season to be a Phil Longo apologist. I think that gaining yards is as much of the offense's job as gaining points is, and he was much better at one than the other. That doesn't make him the best offensive coordinator in the world, and maybe their yardage stats were inflated just because of how frequently they had the ball, because of how much yardage their defense was going up. But I think that one or two egregious mistakes in the red zone notwithstanding, I think he got maybe a little bit worse of a rap than maybe he should have. This has nothing to do with Rich Rod so much as both things can be true. That Phil Longo is doing a good job at North Carolina and he's a good fit there and he was a bad fit at Ole Miss because having little or no red zone success in the SEC when the field shrinks and chasing grass, it's not tenable. You have to be able to move the ball once you get inside the 20s. You have to be able to capitalize against teams that are better than you and he couldn't do that. North Carolina doesn't face the same slate as Ole Miss. 
namely in the yeah, conference. I think, I think that's a great argument. I, I 100% agree with things you have said. Okay. I also think that when you complain about not being able to get into the score from the red zone in the SEC, they played three quarters of their SEC season without their six foot five wide receiver who can out jump everybody. We'll see if things were different in those last five games. If they had DK, I don't know if they would have been, they probably wouldn't have been, but that's one defense of the SEC struggles. No, that's fair. about the struggle against Texas tech. Uh, we'll get back to that later. No, that's fair. That's uh, more than fair. Okay. Before we get out of here, what are you working on? Uh, lots of different stories looking ahead to the Southeastern Louisiana game, looking ahead to Cal we got a few stories that you guys might be interested for uh, some former players who might be making a reunion here soon. Some current players who have some pretty interesting stories about their lives that they want to tell. Uh, you can always follow me on the tweets to find those because as Ben will be the first to tell you, I'm way too active on Twitter. So uh, keep an eye out. And I have intentionally not followed you because you didn't follow me first. That's true. I have you in a Twitter list and mm -hmm. I see all of your tweets. But I have not pressed the follow button because I'm a butthead. Mm -hmm. And that's why I hadn't followed you, because you're rude. Deuce McAllister and Keith Carter coming up on Thursday's Talk of Champions. Thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Where can the people read and follow you? Uh, go to clarionledger.com. That's spelled like it sounds. Or go to Nick Suss on Twitter. That's N-I-C-K-S-U-S-S. -S. And you can find all my stuff from there. Or if you uh, do enough digging, you can find my address and knock on my door and annoy me. But please don't. Oh, that is an invitation you should have not extended to me. You can just ask. You have my phone number. All right. All right. He's Nick Suss. This has been Talk of Champions. Thank you, bud. We'll do it again. Awesome. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.